0: Welcome to the Underground Podcast, the student ministry of Riverside Community Church. We are happy to have you listening in this week. How many are ready for summer? Yes, hallelujah. How, how, now listen, how many of you are like, I just love school so much, I don't want it to end? Oh, Noren, that is not you. That is not you. Um, well, it's funny, today I was talking to Andrew Hatfield in the back. He does all of our sound. Will you give it up for Andrew in the back? Andrew's awesome, Um, but he was talking to me because Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but he's about ready to graduate, and Andrew, how old are you? 16, and he's like graduating high school. He's like, he's amazing. He like skipped 17 grades, and he's getting ready to go, and he's going to ISU, and I was telling him that was almost my school that I went to, ISU, but this is a really like stupid Kind of reason not to go to school. And so those of you who are seniors or juniors and you're looking to pick out of school, I was going there for like orientation and I left my house a little bit too late. And by the time I got there, I got stuck in traffic and I was too embarrassed to, tur- to go late that I turned around and came right back home. And I went to Bradley instead and caused my parents to pay quadruple amounts of money. And they're still paying on my school loans. But it's amazing, that being said, but I remember the first day that I went to Bradley, I did not even go visit the campus. I know Mia, Mia, where are you going next year? University of Iowa. And she's like, yeah, she's amazing, she's smart. But I know Mia did a little campus tour, probably a couple times, went to learn about the school. I knew nothing about Bradley, I just knew that it was up the hill. I signed up. I sent my transcripts in from high school and I went. And so the first day that I showed up, my freshman year, day one of classes, I have my schedule out. I knew where I was going and it said, new, N-E-U. And I thought that was Newman Hall. So that morning, bright eyed and bushy tailed, I got my backpack, I headed to where I thought I was supposed to go, I went to open the door, walk in, first class ever at Bradley, and the door was locked. And so I was like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. And so then I looked back on the map and I thought it was like, okay, well maybe it wasn't supposed to be here, maybe it was gonna be over here, something that was very similar. And so I walked across campus and I went where I thought I was supposed to go And I said to somebody there that looked a lot more studious, a lot more knowledgeable, I said, hey, where do I need to go for this? And they go, just go right down the hallway and you'll see it right there, the lecture hall. So I walked down the hall, I saw the door, clearly that's where it was supposed to be. I opened the door and now I'm about eight minutes late to my very first class. And I look in and it's like one of those massive lecture halls that you see on like a movie, where everybody's sitting there very studiously, and here's little nerdy old me walking in there. And just like you're all looking at me right now, that's what happened when I opened the door. Everybody turned and stared at me, and I quickly scoped out where the seats were that I could go with my stuff. And the last seat was all the way up at the very top of this very cavernous lecture hall. Now, by the time I got there, everybody had already put their backpacks and everything in the aisleway. So it took me about what felt like 17 hours to climb over everything. And my my mom had taught me to be really polite. So this is literally what I did. I was like, excuse me. Oh, sorry. Yeah, excuse me. I just need to go. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, And I finally made my way all the way up here to the last seat at the top. And when I sat there, there was a massive gentleman in front of me. And when I'm saying massive, I'm not talking like overweight. I'm talking like he was tall, like seven feet tall. He leaned all the way back. So basically, when I sat there, I was like pulling my knees, basically eating my own knees in my mouth the whole time. And so I'm like, this is going to be really interesting. And as the guy started to talk, the professor, he goes, turn to page whatever in your accounting textbook. And I realized, oh crap, I'm in the wrong place because I'll tell you, I was not an accounting major to this day. I do not like doing a budget. It's not my favorite thing to do. But I had a choice then. And the choice was, I am not going all the way down there and saying, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, all the way, all the way back down. So I sat there for an hour and a half in an accounting class that I never actually needed. And I didn't learn anything the whole, the whole time. But I remember that night, my mom called me and she was like, how was your first day? And I was like, mom, it was the worst day of my life. I have leg cramps. I basically could lick my knees. It was so weird. Don't lick your knees. That's weird. Um, But I remember I called and I was like, it was the worst day ever. Well, in all hindsight, it wasn't the worst day ever. But tonight, we're going to talk about the next week um, in our series. And tonight, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the hard stuff. Because tonight, we're going to talk about some of the hard things that we go through, the difficult times that we go through in life. Because when I think back on it now and I look back, That day was, yeah, it was embarrassing, and yeah, it was boring, but in hindsight, it was nowhere near the worst day of my life, because you see, up until that point, I as a kid had already gone through some stuff. You see, like many of you, my parents divorced when I was young, and to kind of feel that tug of war of what it's like to spend some time with mom, some time with dad, and you see, shortly after that, when I was in first grade, my mom just needed a fresh start, and so she packed me up, and we moved to Missouri for about two years, and she became a nanny, and my mom had never been a nanny before, but she just needed something different. You see, shortly thereafter, we came back, and my mom got into a relationship with a man, and she ended up being, becoming pregnant during that time. And I didn't really understand it at the time because I was nine years old when that happened. And you see, I remember my mom talking to my grandpa, her dad on the phone, and I could hear my grandpa saying some things to her. And I can still, as a 40-year-old man, I can still picture my mom sitting at the top of these steps in this apartment we lived at, tears just running down her face, trying to figure out what her life was gonna become. Because can I tell you, when you're a nine, 10 year old boy, that's hard to watch your mom go through some of those things. You see, eventually I grew up and I went to high school and I'll tell you, I was raised by some amazing, amazing women. My mom's awesome, I have a Nana who's awesome my Aunt Jan. It was crazy. Now, you also know that I was one of those kids with the asthma machine. So needless to say, I was not the most popular guy in school. I didn't really fit in with any little group. To this day, people will come up to me and they're like, "Did you play basketball in high school? And what I started to do is you didn't want to explain, well, actually, I have um, lungs problems, and so I have to sit over here, and I can't really breathe, and I have to have my inhaler. Like, I didn't say that. But after a while, I started to say, yeah, I do. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, yeah, we, we went to state in high school. It was so good. And I just, like, make up random stuff. But you see, when I was in high school, I was not that, like, jock athletic kid. I wasn't even really, like, the artistic kind of kid. I can't draw to save my life. I wasn't really smart. I know that's shocking to you. Um, I didn't really have that. So I didn't really find my place. High school was not something that I loved. And some of you absolutely love high school. And you're like, oh, I wish I could hold on to this forever. Calm down, Gabriella and Troy Bolton. That's not how all of us felt in high school. Some of you love it. And you're like singing songs, walking down the hallway. That's not the experience that we all had. You see... When I look back and I reflect on all that I've been through, that embarrassing day in college wouldn't have even made the top 20 of the worst days of my life. You see, standing back and looking back at all those times has given me some perspective. You see, when you're in the midst sometimes, when you're dealing with things, it's overwhelming. You don't think you're ever going to get to the end. You see, I would have been one of those kids if, you, if my youth pastor would have got up there and said, how many days do you have left of high school? My sophomore year, I probably would have been able to say 283 more. I'm counting them down. I'm ready to be done. But you see, sometimes we're in the midst of something we can't even see past to what's coming. You know, when I met Rach, um, we had like a quick little engagement. We started dating on June the 1st, and we were engaged by like September 1st. Yeah, baby. Um, she knew what she had. Um, I keep saying um, and Clay keeps track of how many times I say um, so I'm going to stop that right now. But I remember I had these great elaborate plans, because Rach loved that musical called Mama Mia. Don't. Woo to that. That's Sarah in the back, I know. And so I had this grand plan. We're going to go to Chicago. We're going to see Mama Mia. And then she loved the Ferris wheel at Navy Pier. And I said, very cheesy. I'm going to propose to her when we're at the top of that Ferris wheel. And it's going to be so great. Well, here's what happened. I said to her, get dressed up. We're going to make a day out of it. It's going to be fun. So I was like in a suit, tie. She was dressed to the nines, looking beautiful. We're driving there and we get to Bloomington. And all of a sudden we hear this, da-dum, da-dum, da-dum And it's a flat tire. So I walk out there because, you know, I'm very good with those kinds of things. I walk, Don't laugh at that, Chris Swidinski. Calm down. And so I get under there and I'm like trying to get out off the the spare tire and all this kind of stuff, really acting like I know what I'm doing. Well, the thing was, the vehicle we were driving, the spare tire had rusted to the bottom. And there was no way myself or Hulk himself would be able to pull that out. Now, all the while, while I'm propping up working underneath this car, not knowing what I'm trying to do, but trying to impress her, it starts pouring down rain. And so here I am on the side of the road, and we we joke about it every time that we're on our way to Bloomington or St. Louis, wherever we're going, because it was right outside this exit that says Mitsubishi Motorway. And every time we drive by it, we're like, remember when we were there? Right there. And so I ended up having to call my mom and be like, can you come pick us up because we're not going anywhere. And so I had all these great plans kind of ready to go. But you see, Sometimes it's hard to see past that situation when you're sitting there on the side of the road in the rain. It's hard to see past when you're in that moment to see that it's ever going to be better. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in the midst of something, I think this is the way it's always going to be. But that's not necessarily the case. You see, we've all had those days that we wish we could do over those moments when we would have acted a little bit differently, where we would have, man, I wish I could have said that a little bit differently. Even Rach talked about that last week. And if you weren't here, that was an amazing message um, that she spoke last week. I loved listening to that when I was away. But you see, throughout this series, we've been looking at the life of Jesus. And we have one more week next week as we wrap it up. And sometimes we buy into the belief that Jesus lived this amazing life without any problems, smooth sailing. But as Rach reminded us last week, man, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil over and over and over again. You see, he hung out with tax collectors and sinners, and that was really controversial back in that time. There were people that were trying to stone him. It says when he was in Nazareth, he was rejected because people said, oh, you're just a carpenter. And some of you know what that's like because maybe sometimes somebody has said to you, oh, you're just this or you're just that. Jesus encountered some of those same things. There was even one day where he came across a man with a deformed hand and Jesus, as he did throughout scripture, he healed that man, but he healed healed him on the Sabbath, the holy day. And so that started the process of saying, man, we need to do something about this guy. He's doing things that go against everything that we believe in, everything that we think is true. You see, we even read a couple of weeks ago about one of his closest friends, John the Baptist, was killed, and not just killed, but was beheaded. And he had another friend named Lazarus that died. And after he found out that Lazarus died, we see the shortest verse in the Bible. It's John eleven thirty five. 35. And if you're ever trying to win a Butterfinger for memorizing a verse, memorize John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Now, I bet, because I'm such an amazing teacher, that if I brought up Butterfingers next week and say, hey, who can tell us John 11, 35? There'd be like 83 of you up here. We're not doing it, sorry. Oh, listen to that, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, Elijah, maybe next time. But you see, Jesus ended up being betrayed by some of his best friends, by some of his own disciples. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you'd start off with me, and we're going to turn to Luke 22, verses 1 through 6. So if you want to turn to Luke, the third book in the New Testament. And as we read today, this is kind of the start of Jesus' worst couple of days. And so Luke 22, verses 1 through 6. It says, the festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted and they promised to give him money, so he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. You see, as it keeps going in the rest of this chapter and also into chapter 23, we see the events that eventually led Jesus to the cross. You see, Judas betrayed Jesus, it goes on to say, for 30 pieces of silver. Now, for us in modern times, that's roughly five weeks' wage, so he was getting paid for about what he would have made in about five weeks. Now, some of you sitting in here, you may have been betrayed by friends. You may have maybe had somebody talk about you behind your back or made plans and not invited you or even, you know, spread gossip about you. But I doubt any of your friends have ever tried to get you arrested. It, oh, or maybe you have. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you have friends that are trying to get you arrested, y'all need new friends, but that's a work in progress over there. I'm not going to judge you. That's all right, Gracie. It's good. We'll talk to Karen about that. Maybe make new friends. Um, but And you don't have to turn here, but in Luke 5, um, there was another disciple named Peter, and he had this brother named Andrew. And one day it talks about how they were fishing, and they hadn't caught anything all night long. And Jesus told them, to go back out. And so they went back out and it says they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. Their boats actually started to sink. And Jesus said, not only will you be just regular fishermen, but he said, I will make you fishers of men. And it goes on to say, they left everything behind and followed Jesus. Think about your oldest, your closest your dearest friend. Some of you may have that person in the room right now. Some of you may go to school with them. Whoever that is, that was Peter to Jesus. They were like the best of friends. If we look back in Luke chapter 22 again, we're gonna continue on in the story because even though they were very close, things started to happen. And if we jump down into verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. And following this, and for Tom, we're not going to read it all, but following this, um, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives to pray. And right after that is when he gets arrested. And it goes on to say that Peter draws his sword and he cuts off the right ear of one of the servants of the high priest. And even in this moment, while Jesus is getting arrested, Jesus pauses and heals the man's ear. Now, I will tell you, if... I was arrested for some silly crime, some things that I didn't do. The first thing I probably wouldn't do was say, let me heal you. I would probably kick them in places that would probably not be good, but that's just me, I'm not Jesus. But Jesus, even in the midst of this time, he still was showing love to people wherever he went. And the story goes on in verse 54. It says, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus's followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. No, man, I'm not. That's why I feel like he said it. I um, about I was stupid. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, no. Man, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sleep deprived. You know, can I just pause here a minute? Um, I, I went on a, an overnight thing as per pastor and I shared a room with, Elise's dad, Joe, who was here a few weeks ago. Um, And I don't know if you've ever spent time with Joe Greenwald while he's sleeping or taping in a nap, but it was like the worst snoring I've ever heard. And I'm not telling anything because you're nodding your head in agreement. That's just all to say that I didn't get much sleep. And so I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But man, I don't even know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. You see, one of his best friends turned on him. And you see, right after this, they began beating him, mocking him. Jesus goes to trial. He's sentenced to death. It says that they start spitting on him. They pluck out his beard and he dies a painful death on the cross for you and for me. You see, there's a verse that I've clung to throughout my entire life and it's found in Hebrews 6, verses 18 and 19 and I'll read it to you just briefly. It says, "'Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge,' Can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. When I was in college, um, we went up to Chicago, a group of us, for the weekend. And it was around the time, um, around St. Patrick's Day. And you may have seen in Chicago where they dye the river green. And so we went up there. And while we were there, um, a couple friends of ours said, Hey, why don't we rent kayaks and go kayaking? On the Chicago River, and being the outdoorsman that I am, I said, Oh, yes, let's do that. That would be great. And so we got in these kayaks, and they gave us, I almost called them paddles, but I think they're oars. Is that right? Oars, thank you very much. That's right. I'm such an expert on kayaking. Um, And I remember we went down the Chicago River for a long time, and finally we got a little bit further down, and we stopped to eat lunch. And so as we stopped to eat lunch, we went to the side and we tied up. Um, all of our kayaks, and we ate, and it was awesome. And then we came back out, because then we had to go back down the river to return these to the place we rented it from. And so all my friends are getting in theirs, and, and I go to get in mine, and it's not there. And immediately, I think of my grandma in my head talking about all the things that happen in the big city of Chicago. People mug you, people steal things, and I'm like, yes, Nana, that's right, they even steal kayaks. Well as I looked a little bit further across the river, I saw my neon green kayak clearly on the other side of the river quite a ways down because apparently I didn't tie it the way you were supposed to, because I wasn't in the boy Scouts. I had no idea how you were supposed to tie, tie this together. Um, And so my kayak was far, far away. And I remember that story as I was reading this verse because when you anchor it, when you tie things together, it keeps the boat from floating away. You see, when you're tied securely to something, it's hard to drift away. And I think for so many of us, when we go through hard times, Jesus needs to be that anchor in our life. It's why a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of spending time with him. So you're anchored, you're tethered to him. You see in Matthew chapter 14, and it's gonna come on the screen for you. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Here's what it says. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, He went into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I'm here. then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You see, because this happened earlier in Peter's life. And, and if we're honest, in some ways, Peter was kind of a mess. It's why I can kind of relate to this guy because he didn't have it all together. He wasn't perfect. But you see, it was just a good reminder that an anchor keeps the boat stable In the midst of a storm, the things that come against us. Because you see, an anchor goes down deep. And even when you can't see it deep in the water, it's still doing its job. And it's the same with Jesus. Even though we can't see him, it feels like he's a million miles away. He's not showing up when we want him to. Jesus is still there. And when Jesus is your anchor, he's gonna be with you in the midst of the storms you're facing the things that come against you in your life that you can't quite figure it out. And you have a choice. You can either trust in yourself or trust in Jesus. And I hate to admit the number of times that I've put trust in myself. But you see, too often we get overwhelmed. We try to do it on our own and we take our eyes off Jesus. And that's, I'll tell you, the worst mistake You can make because just look here at what happened to Peter when he did this. And I wrote down in my notes you can let your circumstances sink you, or you can allow God to save you. And in those moments, your choice is I'm gonna try to do it on my own, I'm gonna continue to be overwhelmed, or I'm gonna call out to God when things aren't looking very good when it seems like everything's falling apart around me. You see, we shared earlier that Jesus' friend Lazarus died. And and a little bit of the backstory, um, he had two sisters. They're Mary and Martha. And they sent word to Jesus that their their brother um, was very, very sick. And Jesus goes on to say, oh, don't worry about him. His life won't end in death. And he spends the next two days just continuing to do what he had already planned to do. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has died. And Lazarus' sister, Martha, comes up and says, if only you'd been here. If only you'd been here, you could have saved our brother. And I don't know about you, but there's so many times in my life where things have happened where I'll say, man, God, if only you were there, if only you had answered my prayer, if only you had shown up when I needed it you to do that the most, but can I tell you, God often does his greatest work at your weakest point. God often shows up. He says in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying, but you see, Jesus being Jesus, he found where Lazarus was buried. He went back to the tomb where Lazarus was, and Jesus was able to bring him back to life after being dead for 4 days he says didn't i tell you that you would see god's glory if you only believe you see for many of us there's new life just around the corner you see that phrase it's too late that's not even in god's vocabulary it's never too late when jesus is involved do you see As we read about Peter and he ran off, ashamed of the way that he treated God, the way that he denied Jesus, you would think naturally that that would be the end of Peter's story, that his life would forever be defined by that moment of denying Jesus. But I have to tell you, that's not how Jesus works. You know, he doesn't want our lives to be defined by our failures but rather he wants our lives to be defined by his faithfulness. You see, if the story goes on, God wasn't done with Peter. And like many of us, no matter how far we've wandered, no matter how many times we've messed up, Jesus isn't done with him. And in John chapter 21, it says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, why not, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, has you... Fellows, I'll call them fellas. Fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. Now, I don't think stripped like naked. I think he just, okay, we'll keep going. He jumped into the water and headed to shore because I am not going anywhere with a naked fisherman. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't wanna go. Jesus said this so that Peter would know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. You see, can you imagine that sight of Peter seeing Jesus? Because when I picture it, I see Peter just jumping without reservation to go see Jesus. Because for Peter, I think he thought his story was over, that Jesus could never restore him, could never be used again. But you see, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because you see, Jesus forgave Peter and he was able to restore him to a place right beside him. You see, I've said it before, but your greatest days can come after your greatest failures. You see, Peter went on to continue to tell people about Jesus. We read before how in one day, 3,000 people came to follow Jesus because of Peter's obedience. He went on to, and healed people. It goes on to tell later about he healed a crippled beggar and he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You see, that wasn't the end of Peter's story. God was just preparing to write the next chapter of our lives. You see, in the midst of problems, please remember God's promise. He says to us in his word, I will never leave you I will never forsake you. And when life gets overwhelming, remember those two words, follow me. Because you see, sometimes we think that we're delayed, that God has just written us off and that's not the case. You see, last summer we went to the UK and we had a a plan. We knew where we were gonna go. We had to get on this flight. And so the five of us walked through security. We were there. We were getting ready to go to the plane. And Ella, they pulled her bag to the side. And I said, come on, we got to go. What's the holdup? What's the delay? And they took her bag and they started to look through it. And for some strange reason, Ella thought she couldn't leave America without homemade slime in her bag don't know why that is and so as we were there we kept staying and waiting and waiting the whole time and we thought oh my gosh they're gonna arrest my 11 year old daughter and we're never gonna see her again but you see a delay is just a momentary stop to your destination you see sometimes when things come in our lives that we can't explain that are hard, it doesn't mean that God's forgotten about us. It doesn't mean that he's turned his back on us. It doesn't mean that you won't get there. It means you just won't get there right now. He's working on you, he's preparing you. You see, a delay can't keep you from the destiny that God has for each and every one of us. And you see, back in college, I recommitted my life to Jesus and I've shared that before. And I wish I could tell you that everything's been perfect ever since. But that's just not the way it's happened. I could stand up here and tell you, hard time after hard time after hard time has come. But you see, following Jesus doesn't mean that you're immune from storms. But what it does mean is that you have an anchor when those storms come. When things come in your life that you're not expecting, when those hard times come, I don't get nervous about it anymore. I step out in faith and say, God, I don't know, you wanna teach me something in this. You want me to learn something in this. Man, God, I have seen you do things in my life time and time again, and just like the words of the song, I believe, God, that you're gonna do it again. You're gonna take this situation that I'm in right now Because you see, throughout all this time, God's been preparing me because all the time I meet with students and they say, Michael, I'm going through this or I'm dealing with this right now. And nine times out of 10, I can say, pull up a chair. Let me tell you, I was in that same boat one time. I went through the exact same things. I love it when Peyton was up here a couple weeks ago because you see God used her stories God used her struggles and the things that she went through because her faithfulness impacted so many others that were here that night. And the same thing can happen. So my comfort to you is in the middle of the storm, don't quit, don't slouch back. That's the time to lean in to all that God has for you, to believe that the same God who brought you to it is gonna lead you through it. So will you just stand with me tonight? And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your life is like, even as you leave tonight. But I know there's some of us that are in the midst of storms right now. We're in the hard stuff of life and I just wanna pray for each and every one of us tonight. Dear God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for these leaders. I thank you that in the midst of all the things that we go through, God, that our one constant is you, that you love us, that you believe in us, that you're preparing a place for us, that you have destiny and purpose for each and every one of us. And God, I pray for everyone in this room tonight, God, that no matter what we're going through, that we would cling to you, that you're our anchor and that you're not gonna let us drift away, that you're still there, that you bring peace, that you calm the storms that are in each and every one of our lives. And God, I believe that we're gonna look back and say, man, I know how powerful God is because here's where I was and here's what he brought me through. And we're gonna look back one day, God, and we're gonna give you all the praise, all the glory for what you've done in each and every one of our lives, God. So I pray for every single person here, God, that you would be with them tonight, the rest of this week, and where you're gonna take each and every one of us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And in your name, amen. Thank you for listening. To keep up to date with underground students, follow us on our socials at undergroundpia.